Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 41 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets are on a five-game winning streak and sitting nicely in first place. Joe made his first trip back to City Field since 2019. I hope to make mine soon. A couple, uh, couple hot starts for the Mets prospects right now. A lot of the top prospects are absolutely raking as the minors have kicked off. So we'll have an update there as well. A lot to go through on today's show. It's like every single aspect of the Mets world, from the minors to the majors, uh, to everything going on. There's a lot of news. So, Joe, how are we doing? I want to hear about the return to City Field. Doing awesome. It was good. Get to go on Mother's Day, bring the mom, who is the reason I'm a Mets fan. So really excited to get to finally get back there with her and you know check out a game. So smooth. I got to I got to give them some credit, you know, getting in with the vaccine card, super quick, easy, um, obviously having whatever the what's it, 20 percent, 22 percent. So only a few thousand people that can go makes the job a little bit easier because they're used to having 30 plus thousand. But it was smooth in. Uh, I loved no lines anywhere. That was fantastic. No lines for the bathroom for food. I was behind like two people. And a game changer to me with the food. So I I got food for me, my mom, and my girlfriend. So all three of us. And all of a sudden, I'm like preparing for the stupid little cardboard tray they give you where you're juggling this food around and hoping not to make a mess. And all of a sudden, I just see them open like a big paper bag like you'd get at like a grocery store with handles. And I see them put all the food in it. And they're like, here you go. I'm like, holy crap. What a game changer. Like now I can get beer too and carry the beer and the food. I don't have to make multiple trips. Like, I don't know if they did this for COVID reasons or something, but I tweeted Steve Cohen, hope he sees it. I would very much like it if these bags would stay. It would make my life, and I'm sure a lot of other people's lives based on responses that I got on Twitter, make everyone's life and experience a lot better. Because if there's 30 plus thousand people at the stadium, I'm making multiple trips, which means I'm missing baseball. So I can't carry the food and then carry two or three beers. Just not feasible. So I was very happy about that. And like I said, no lines for bathroom or anything. Got out of the stadium, no problem. The parking lot was basically empty. So zoomed Mets right won. out. <laughs> yeah. Mets won. So, you know, the game was obviously really, really good. The result was nice. Got to, got to hear Narco in person. So it was a uh, it was a really good time and I'm happy to get back and I, I cannot wait to go next. And, you know, by the time we go, by the time I go next time, I'm sure there'll be more people there. Yeah, the capacity is going to ramp up. Obviously, uh, there will be, you know, for those that haven't heard, it sounds like there will be vaccinated sections that don't have to be socially distanced, which means the capacity numbers can significantly uh, rise, which will create for. A pretty crazy atmosphere at City Field for a first place team, a team with expectations, a team with star power. And I think that's really exciting. And I'm with you, Joe. I'm the type of person that as the years have gone by, like I, I grew up in the old Meadowlands for Jets games going with my dad who split season tickets with my uncle. And that atmosphere, that game day atmosphere was incredible. But as I've gotten older, you know, it, there's things that make going to games not as enjoyable anymore consistently. Like, And I love going to the ballpark. Absolutely love it. But man, that what you said, the no lines, the aspect. I also appreciate now that I've moved down closer to the city that I can just take the trains. I think that's been a differentiator for me that makes the Met games 
so much easier is getting on the sub on and off the subway to games. That's been a big differentiator. But like you said, the, the bathroom lines, beers, everything. Uh, it's a nice luxury, but I will say it'll be fun to have a full ballpark again in the near future, especially for this team that it's funny. They're on a five game winning streak. They're in first place and they still really haven't figured it out yet. And I look at that from the glass half full approach where, wow, imagine if they start hitting a little more or they start getting the situational hitting going more that, you know, the reality of the situation is the bullpen, which is the best in major league baseball right now. They put a lot of assets into this. It's not a bullpen that's just a bunch of random names. They've traded prospects for guys like Edwin Diaz and Miguel Castro, two of the biggest pieces in the bullpen. They've given out big contracts to guys like Trevor May and Jairus Familia, two giant pieces in the bullpen right now. I remember a show you and I did, Joe, during spring training or maybe even right before it was, who is the X factor in the bullpen? And, and we talked about, can we get a bounce back from Familia? And it hasn't been perfect, but it's been really good. And he has bounced back. So, and then a lot of names contributing that you would never expect to. That's not sustainable. And they'll have to hit and they'll have to get pitch, starting pitching going deep into games and all of those things. But the fact that the bullpen right now without Seth Lugo has been a complete difference maker for this team. The starting pitching has been very good for the most part. And the big boppers are not clicking just yet. Conforto's, you know, starting to turn it around. Lindor, we think, is turning it around. You know, Pete's been fine, but not much from McNeil. Nimmo's been hurt. JD's been hurt. VR and Pilar are actually two of the biggest impact players in the lineup right now. And it goes to show you when they make those signings and, you know, they come in as not huge contracts, everybody goes, ah, whatever, shrug their shoulders. These two guys are arguably keeping the offense afloat in big moments. So, and Dom Smith is not hitting, who I think at times I've called the best complete hitter on the team, and it hasn't been there for him yet. These guys are going to figure it out, and you wonder what this team can be when that green light comes on, when Noah Syndergaard's back, when Carlos Carrasco is back, when Seth Lugo is back. I think that's what's really excited about the winning streak right now and being in first place is that Maybe it's just the optimist in me, but there's a lot of reasons to think the best is ahead for the Mets this season. Yeah, I, I'd love to counter you, but I totally agree. Like, I'm looking at it from the glass half full. It's like, we know this offense is talented. They're last or near last in slugging percentage in baseball, and this is a team that we expect to hit a ton of home runs. So I think those days are coming. They're just not here yet. And they've been able to, you know, obviously the bullpen, like you said, has been fantastic and they're going to get Seth Lugo back. So in theory, it's going to get even better once that happens. They're, they've got the rotation kind of going well, but, you know, Carrasco, a little behind schedule, DeGrom going on the IL, though it seems like that's short term and not really much of a concern. Syndergaard is, you know, working his way back. So to me, I think the fact that they're playing okay ball, like they're not playing great ball. They've won five in a row, so that that's going well. But they haven't played fantastic baseball. It's just the fact that the rest of the NL East has not performed. So the Mets are able to be in first place and be right up there despite not playing their best baseball, which to me says, wait until they start playing their best baseball. Then, you know, maybe it turns out that the Mets end up, I don't, I don't want to say like pull away completely, but maybe pull away a little bit from the pack once things really get in order here and the offense starts clicking and they get DeGrom back all good and happy. And then Carrasco and Syndergaard in the rotation. I think the, the stock is definitely pointing up for the Mets and winning five in a row. I mean, I said on last week's show, that it's only a matter of time before they rally off, you know, 10 in a row. <laughs> we'll see if they get, we'll see if they get to 10. They got to start tonight with uh, John Means, who threw a no-hitter his last time out for, for Baltimore or two times out ago, whatever. And so they're not they're not even a walkover at this point. So we'll we'll see how they play tonight. But you know, they're halfway to that to that 10 game winning streak. And all it took was a rat and a raccoon. Man, it's I mean, we don't even really have to get too into that. And I, I it was interesting the reactions it brought upon. Uh, from the media, from fans, really from the media is what I'm talking about, that they, you know, said, oh, you you can't 
treat them like they're stupid in New York. This is in Cleveland. I'm glad the Mets did everything they could to button that up and keep it in house. And I don't, you know, I don't really, it's past them, right? Winning cures everything. That's what you always say in all sports. Winning cures everything. And winning, you know, clearly cured whatever went on. And quite frankly, I think we don't see it in baseball enough because I'll tell you right now in football, um, obviously in basketball, you know, these things happen a lot between teammates because guys are competitive. And I think the Mets for a long time, I don't know if they had the right edge all the time. And now they are one of the edgiest teams, one of the more hard nosed teams in baseball where McNeil is completely nuts sometimes, but on the flip side, I like that he cares. I like that Lindor is passionate. I like that these guys are very fiery and care about winning so much to the point where they might scream at each other or something might go on that we didn't see. But it also shows that once they won, you can put it behind them. You're mature enough to put it behind you and keep your foot on the gas. So I wasn't bothered by that at all. I'm glad that the team is winning and they were able to move by. I'm glad that it clearly put a spark in those guys because since that incident, they each hit home runs quickly after. So I look at it as a whole and, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out the rest of the year. But quite frankly, it just, it just didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And one more thing that I want to cover before we do get into uh, the minor leaguers update because they these guys have just been tearing the cover off the ball to start things off. Obviously, DeGrom goes on the IL. I think this is the right move. Even Luis Rojas said before this show started today that the MRI showed nothing. There's not even inflammation there. My thought on all of this is, especially this year with the guy consistently throwing 101, I think DeGrom is so intense and has so much torque in his mechanics that these things can happen to the start of a season, right? The weather's a little colder. You're playing in in poor weather. You might not be as carved out with your routine as much. These little, you know, whether it's tightness, whether it's just, you know, a little strain bothering you, whatever it may be, the sky's not falling for this, number one. And I like that they're saying we can get by with DeGrom missing a start because the way they IL'd him, it looks like he will only miss one star and will be back from Miami. And the Mets, you know, of course, we we need DeGrom out there if if this team wants to go where they need to go. But to miss one star in May, I think things are going to be okay. And this isn't the first time we've seen little things in the beginning of the year uh, set DeGrom back for a start or two. So I think all in all on that front, it's just I'm not as worried as, you know, we typically would be. Yeah, I'm not very worried about DeGrom at all. It seems like all, everything worked out okay with the MRI and everything. So that confirms that just, you know, something bother him a little bit, give him a start off. And even if it works out that, you know, he has to take two starts off, it's you can use a Jordan Yamamoto, you can you get use a bullpen game, you can get through it. It's it's not a huge deal. What what to me is a huge deal is that Jake is 100% right and we have him for the rest of the year. So I care much less about a start against Miami in May as I will a start against Atlanta in September or something like that. So to me, take your time, Jake. I'm in no rush. I'm a patient guy, but I'm just glad that there was nothing from the MRI. So we're not looking at, oh, he has a, a strained lat or or whatever. It seems like all in all, he's good. And, you know, we'll just evaluate it in 10 days. They brought Sean Reed Foley back, who I think is this year's go up and go down guy. Guam's he's finest. Done, yeah, he's done it like four, four times so far, I think, this year. So uh, he'll he'll keep going up and down, I guess. But he'll be back, be able to give you some innings out of the pen if you need him. And, you know, we should get Jake back soon. So all can't be unhappy with that. No, not at all. I think that, you know, this goes to show you why you you want the problem of having too many pitchers with Carrasco and Syndergaard coming back because these things happen. And then in the blink of an eye, you're calling up someone from the minors and doing openers. And, and how about Tommy Hunter, by the way, who, yeah, I, I mean, really, and I know the wheels can fall off the bus quite quickly, and they usually do when I speak too soon on things. But 
I have always been honest that I am a Mets fan first and then a baseball fan. And I do my best to keep up with the league, but keeping up with veteran relievers, especially ones that, you know, were predominantly in the American League for a while before he came over to Philadelphia. It was kind of interesting to me how much of an afterthought this guy was, Joe. When you look at his career, especially someone that, you know, I know he started before, but for a long time he's been a reliever, has been pretty consistent as one. I mean, two sub-three ERA years in Baltimore, and then, you know, a little bit of up and down, but solid for the Rays, solid for the Phillies. I'm not expecting him to be a savior, but I just wonder, are there some arms that could be optioned a lot or just are the back end of the bullpen that this Mets bullpen actually is a little deeper than we initially thought. It's maybe a little deeper than we thought because we're getting performances out of guys like Robert Gazelman, who I think we didn't even think he should make the team. Yeah. And many of us were trying to non-tender him in the off season. So just get him out off the 40 man rosters. Nobody to even have him here. So again, it's early, you know, these things will go up and down, especially with relievers, but you, you have to be happy with the early results from these guys. And yeah, you have some optionable guys, so you have a little flexibility, but obviously if multiple guys were to get hurt or multiple guys were to struggle, then, you know, that, that would dissipate pretty quickly, but yeah, they can, they can afford to move a Sean Reed Foley up and down a Tommy Hunter type up and down. So they have a little flexibility, not a ton, um, but you'll also be getting Lugo back soon, soon enough too. So I think right now, they're in a good spot with the bullpen. Um, you know, if things keep going well for this team, it wouldn't stop me from pursuing a bullpen arm at the trade deadline. Can't have enough bullpen if you're a contender. But yeah, I, I mean, we were talking a couple of weeks ago. We were just saying, man, they're really going to have to navigate this bullpen without Lugo. Like, it's going to be a tough go, but they just have to try to work through it. And, you know, knock on wood, but everybody has stepped up. Pretty much everybody who... Who has really struggled mightily in the bullpen? It's crazy no what initial impressions can do to you, right? It felt like because of a bad debut, Trevor May got this rap, and Trevor May has been unhittable. Lights out. Yeah, yeah. unhittable since then. I mean, Aaron Loop just Loop. gave up his first run. First run. Like, the other day. Yeah. Even so, when – I'll tell you what I'm most impressed about with the bullpen because I was pretty excited about May – you have convinced me um, that Diaz is actually good, no matter what anyone says. What I'm most impressed about this year is that even on the days where it looks like Miguel Castro doesn't have it, because we know with his kind of stuff, control it's never about the stuff. It's about the control. I've seen a Castro this year that can get himself into a little bit of trouble and then recollect himself and get him out of it. That, to me has besides Familia's potential big bounce back this year, that to me is the sign of Castro going from, Hey, this is an all potential reliever, but we can't trust him in high leverage situations to man. This guy has high leverage seventh innings written all over him. Yeah. Castro is a guy that I initially would have looked at as, he's either going to have it or not have it on that night. And if he doesn't have it, you better get him out of there because he's not he's not working through things. But he has shown good signs of growth where, I mean, even the other day when he, you know, when I was at the game and he came in for DeGrom, he put a couple guys on right away. And it's like, really right, missed this, his spots. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, it was nowhere close. It's like, does Castro not have it today? And he worked his way out of it. So he's becoming a true big league reliever that has the mental wherewithal that even if things aren't going right, you still can correct it and work yourself out of the inning. So really big growth from Castro. And, you know, there's no denying that he has probably the second best stuff in the bullpen behind Diaz. So he it's absolutely filthy as one of the best sliders in baseball. He's been locating his fastball and changeup, which is to me a game changing pitch for him. You know, he, he's still walking guys here and there, but considering where, what we saw from him in the small sample size that we did last year, his control is like night and day. So it's infinitely better. And I don't think there's anyone in the bullpen you could complain about where we stand today. Um, we might record next week and be complaining about somebody, but 
you, there's nothing wrong in the bullpen right now. Everybody's doing what they got to do. All right, let's keep the good vibes flowing. Let's talk about the minor leagues here uh, because this is something we we are excited to do on this show with Joe's knowledge of the farm system and the fact that the Mets have quietly kind of remade this farm system where there's not just one guy at the top anymore. There's absolutely big names to the point where I know Baseball America updated their top 100 prospects. Now with Matt Allen, the Mets top arm needing Tommy John, uh, that'll sideline him from being in this group, but was the pitcher we were most excited about. Now on the more positive side, there are three names in this and, and we'll start at the top and that's number 40 and a guy that I know you think is the best prospect in the Mets system right now, Joe catcher Francisco Alvarez. Yeah. Alvarez is, I got to tell you this guy, you know, and again, we're going to cite some stats for the 2021 minor league season here. Let me be very clear. They've all played less than 10 games. So when I'm talking small sample size, it's small, small sample size, but this Alvarez has done nothing but hit everywhere that the Mets have put him since he came stateside for pro ball. At 17 years old, he was, you know, a couple years younger than the average age of players that he was, you know, going against in that small sample size in 2019. Hit 312, 407 on base, seven homers and 26 ribbies in 42 games. The guy straight up can hit. He has power to all all fields. He doesn't strike out a ton. Um, I, I'm super excited about him. I rank him number one in the system, and I've I've said it here and said it uh, over at SNY. If you had to tell me there's one guy in the system who's most likely to make an all-star team, it's Francisco Alvarez to me. Part of that is his elite bat-to-ball skills, and part of it is the position he plays. He's a catcher. There's not not a ton of premium catchers out there. And he has some work to do defensively uh, with pitch framing a bit and some of his, you know, movement skills, blocking balls. But he has good pop time, above average arm strength so he can throw. Uh, He just has to be careful with his weight, make sure it doesn't get out of control. He's not by any means too big, but he's already like a major league body at catcher. So you want to make sure that at his age, he doesn't, you know, plump up and become too big of a guy. But. There's no worries about that. Just something to think about um, going forward. And he started starting this year with low A St. Lucie at 19 years old. And through the through the six games he's played, he has three doubles, a home run, five RBIs, nine walks to two strikeouts. So almost five times as many walks as strikeouts. And he's hitting, you know, a, a paltry 529 with a 667 on base small. I love having fun with small sample sizes that are good because obviously he's not going to hit 500 this year, but you know, Francisco Alvarez might hit his way out of St. Lucie sooner than later. Well, I was going to say, that's the question that comes to my mind is I know he's really young, of course. And I know the Mets are not in panic mode about catcher. You know, even though McCann's had a slow start, McCann's been very good behind the plate. Alvarez doesn't even turn 20 years old until November. November. He's playing as a 19-year-old. Do you think that's a situation, Joe, where, one, I know you believe he sticks at catcher, and two, you don't think this is someone with they just need to accelerate through the minor league system, right? I, I Where I stand today, I think he's going to stay at catcher. Um I'm not 100% sure, you know, where we'll be talking in a couple of years. It's really going to depend how his body matures, and hopefully he's able to keep that in line. But he has all the actions of someone who can stick at catcher. He has the body to play catcher. So as long as he keeps that squared away, he should be able to be a big league catcher behind the plate, even if it's not, you know, a gold glove winner or, you know, an elite catcher. But as far as timeline and moving guys along, I, generally speaking, am not an aggressive person when it comes to promoting people. That's, you know, if I were in charge, which I am not, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Um, But if I I were in charge, I would be patient. I'd let Alvarez rake in St. Lucie for at least a couple months. I mean, it's not going to hurt his development by being dominant. Uh, 
I've definitely talked to some people that believe you should have a player truly dominate a level before you move him up rather than, hey, he's doing really good now. Let's test him. To me, I'd rather be patient. He's 19 years old. He's still young for the league. So he's not, you know, playing guys that are younger than him and, you know, older than the competition and just beating down. He's slightly young for the league and he's off to obviously a a raging start. So I'd be patient. I'd give him maybe a couple months, but yeah, eventually I'd be surprised if Alvarez didn't at some point this year end up in Brooklyn. So speaking of Brooklyn, that's where we'll go next because Ronnie Mauricio, who we've heard about for a long time and is number 57 on baseball America's top 100 and is just turned 20 in April. So for how long we've heard about Mauricio, still a very young player and a player that probably not going to be at shortstop forever, which will be an interesting part of the conversation. But he's had a pretty good start. And in just those four games, hit two home runs for a player that last time we saw him in 2019 in a huge sample size, only hit four home runs. Mauricio has always been billed. To the fans, I know to me personally, the way I read about him, Joe, is this guy that big frame, 6'3", is going to fill out over time, and maybe that's already begun to happen. Oh, and can He filled re- out. Yeah, and really, <laughs> the power is going to come, and we're already, it's a small sample size, but it's pretty evident that Ronnie Mauricio is starting to find that power stroke. Yeah, absolutely. So Mauricio, if you go on baseball reference, you're going to read that he's 166 pounds. Well, that was in 2019. Ryan Mauricio, from what I'm told, is more around 195 now. That'll help. So he's really filled out. I mean, uh, Jacob Resnick, one of my guys who does some work with me over at SNY, Somewhere on his Twitter this spring, he posted a picture of Mauricio at big league spring training in 2019. And then this year, it might as well have been two different human beings. That's how drastically different he looks. He's, you know, simply growing up to become a man is what it comes down to. He's 20 years old. And like you said, he's tapping into that power. He's got the two homers. And for me, when I look at projecting power in the minor leagues, I look at doubles. Um, more often than not, you show the ability to hit the ball hard to the gaps down the line. And more often than not, it's guys that it, it ends up falling a little short because they don't have, you know, the the man strength to put it that little extra distance consistently to get it over the wall. So if you get high doubles in the minor leagues, I typically project that guy to have more home run power when he gets to the major leagues because he's going to get into the right nutrition program. He's going to get into, you know, a big league weight lifting program. And at that point you have the ability. It's just now you got that little extra oomph behind your swing and you can put it over the fence. So Mauricio really impressive so far Uh, downside with him. He already has three errors in the field. So defensively, where is he? Yeah. I mean, so I, I think he could play shortstop, uh, it because he's had most he, two of the three are throwing errors. I don't know if they were overthrows, underthrows, wide throws. I just saw in the box score that there were throws. Um, he has enough arm strength to play short or third, which is kind of where people have told me he's going to best fit. But I've heard the Mets will try him out at second and maybe even left field. But defensively, it's just where where is he going to fit? Obviously, Lindor is locked in as a shortstop for the next decade. So shortstop, he cannot play. Um, Where do they envision him long term? Do they want him to be a third baseman? If that's the case, all right, you got Brett Beatty over there. You have Mark Vientos over there. If you want him to be a second baseman, oh, well, Jeff McNeil's best as a second baseman. Left field, well, who's playing left field in a couple years? So I'm not sure where exactly they intend to to float him out there defensively. But for now, let him play shortstop. Let him get comfortable at the plate and, you know, give him some work pregame and things like that to get some motions down at other positions. But I'm not in a rush to move him positionally now. I'd, I'd wait maybe until double A, something like that. And then you start really playing around with where do I want this guy to play in the major leagues? For now, it's just keep developing that bat go play where you're most comfortable and we'll figure it out 
when the time. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Time comes. Back to St. Lucie is where... Mr. Number 100 on the top 100 plays the Mets first round pick from last year. That's Pete Crow Armstrong, hopefully the center fielder of the future. Uh, someone that, you know, obviously expectations are pretty high. Top 20 pick overall. He just turned 19 this spring. So a youngster drafted out of high school. And, you know, Bill Doss is good speed, good contact back, great glove with range. Once again, it's only a handful of games or whatever it may be. But for for a young player like this, it's nice to see him get off to a hot start where, I mean, in just 27 plate appearances, he's got nine hits and six walks. So and we know he's he's got wheels to run and two of those double are doubles and one was a hit by pitch. So he's just getting on base at a monster clip, almost at a 600 clip for Pete Crow Armstrong. I, I know we're very far away from him being with the big league club. He was literally just drafted by the Mets. But I, I just get good feelings around every time I either, whether it's an interview with him, whether it's, um, you know, even when he was coming out of high school, all the scouting reports for a team that so desperately needs a center fielder of the future, even if it is years away. It, this was another one that it's like, really, it's a great sign to see him get off to a hot star in, in low A ball right now. Yeah, really impressed by his plate vision to start. Uh, that's usually something that takes time for players to develop. But so far, obviously, again, like you said, he's had, he has 27 plate appearances, so we're not going to go nuts. But, you know, he had a four-walk game, which is like a Brandon Nimmo special. <laughs> uh, but he had a four-walk game. He has consistently hit the ball hard. Uh, my guy, Ernest Dove, he's down there on media doing St. Lucie games. So he's posting videos on his Twitter all the time. And he's he told me that, you know, Pete Crow is, you know, hitting hard liners all over the field. His singles have been, you know, well struck. His doubles were roped. He, he's he got to, you know, develop some pop. I don't think power is going to be a huge part of his game, but the fact that he's able to hit the ball hard and manage the strike zone so far, I think you have to be very excited with his start at the plate. And, of course, defensively, he looks like a natural out there. He's going to be, like, more often than not, you see guys drafting. It's like Mets will draft center fielder out of whatever. And it's like, all right, well, is he a center fielder in pro ball? And more often than not, the answer to that question is no. He's probably a corner guy. Pete Crow Armstrong is a center fielder two and through. I mean, he has the range. He has the instincts. Uh, yeah, he's a gamer. He's Pete Crow's my kind of guy. He's a hard worker, gamer kind of player, emotional player can do a little bit of everything. Uh, it's just, you know, where is the power go? And if he doesn't have much power, that's okay. He still can be, you know, a singles doubles hitter that can run a bit. Really excited about him. And, you know, I'd, I'd be perfectly content keeping him in St. Lucie for the whole season, to be honest. I wouldn't even feel a rush to put him to Brooklyn unless it's, unless he's, li you know, literally hitting 350 in a couple months. But, yeah, he so far we're looking at, you know, three top 100 guys. Matt Allen would be a top 100 guy too, but I think they probably dropped him due to due to the injury, dropped him out of the list, which it's messed up if true. Um, but yeah, they have three top 100 guys. Matt Allen is a top 100 type talent and 
you know, let's let's not uh, forget about Brett Beatty, who yes. is who's raking so far as well for Brooklyn, hitting the ball really hard, struggling in the field like Mauricio is. Uh, Brooklyn's not not off to a hot start defensively, but Brett Beatty can hit, and he's a borderline top 100 type prospect. So the Mets system does fall off. It's not a super deep system, but they have five guys that warrant top 100 prospect in baseball consideration. So. There's not a ton of teams that can say that. Well, and to me, if you're going to accelerate anybody in this minor league system, it would be Beatty just because he'll be 22 this November. So when you look at it, if he showed, because he was an older draft pick out of high school, he was 19 when he was drafted out of high school. If he shows that he's just tearing the cover off the ball in Brooklyn for about half the season, why not give him a chance at double A as a 21 year old that'll soon to be 22 where you put him on a realistic path of, hey, you know, if you keep up with your typical trajectory that you could be with a big league club at, you know, 24 years old or whatever it may be. So I think if there's anybody that you could sit there and make the argument for because of the COVID year last year, I think Beatty would be the one guy that you might look to accelerate, assuming he just keeps hitting like this. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I think what the Mets made, they had a choice going in. And I think they had a choice of, did they want to be aggressive with Mark Vientos or be aggressive with Brett Beatty? And they chose Vientos. So Vientos is manning third base uh, in double A. He's off to a bit of a slower start than obviously Beatty is in Brooklyn. So I think they just chose to, because they want them both to play third base right now. They're not both going to be third basemen's probably long-term. Maybe only one of them is, but they had to choose which one they wanted to be more aggressive with. And, and they chose Vientos and, you know, Beatty's raking in Brooklyn, but like you said, he's 21. Um, he's age appropriate for the level. Uh, this is kind of where you would put a college junior, right? You know, the year after he got drafted, which is kind of how, you know, it's not literally the year after he was drafted, but it might as well be because of the lost year last season. So yeah, I'd be unconcerned with being aggressive with Beatty. He has a super advanced approach at the plate. Hitting is not going to be a question for him in my eyes. I think he's going to he's gonna hit. It's just a matter of where does he play. I think first base probably his best destination. Uh, but I know he's a hard worker and trying really hard to make third base work. And, you know, we'll we'll see how, how he's able to develop there because it would be nice if the Mets could have, you know, a guy like Beatty at the hot corner for the long term. Absolutely. Hot corner, DH. I mean, we we know he's expected to be a big-time bat, and uh, he's somebody that I will be watching closely this year just to see if he can really, you know, have no no speed bumps. Just hit, just get to the minors and keep on hitting your way all the way to the top. So, as always, we're going to close the show answering your questions, and we got four of them today. So we're going to be here for a little bit. This one from Steve Miller, who sent us a ton of good stuff. It was hard to pick, so I let Joe pick. That's how we solve it. Do so, and of course, he picks a college baseball question, which you got to respect that from him. Do some of the top college arms, Jaden Hill and Gunnar Hoagland, is that how it's pronounced, yep. Joe? Oh, yeah, yep. nailed it. You could tell I do 8 million names of the draft every year. Going <laughs> down mean the Mets are less likely to take a college arm at number 10. Are they better off looking at high school arms and controlling their innings slash pitches better and developing them on their own terms? So just some context here from Steve's question. Uh, both Jaden Hill and Gunnar Hoagland are get or went down for the season and it's not just that they're hurt hurt they're getting tommy john i believe both of them where yep. obviously well, we've talked about Jaden hill on this podcast before but the hoagland news uh came down this week so have at it joe what do you what would be the strategy here I, tommy john just does not scare teams or the casual fan like myself uh like it used to many years ago yeah, I mean, it's it's really unfortunate because, you know, for guys like Jaden Hill and Gunnar Hoagland, I thought they were both going to be lock top 10 picks, and now they won't be. You know, I know people aren't afraid of Tommy John, but it's going to ding their stock. You know, best case scenario is you see these guys start re-entering the conversation in the late teens and er er early 20s and potentially fall as far as the second round, depending on how they want to handle signing bonus. I mean, are they willing to take a under slot deal to go in the first round or would they rather get an over slot deal to go in the second round and kind of maybe make a little more money but go a little lower in the draft so that to me is what's going to determine where they go talent wise they're top 10 guys 
Um, you know, JT Ginn was a guy last year that the Met this happened with. He would have been, you know, a top 10, top 15 type pick. He got Tommy John. Uh, he didn't want to settle price wise. So he fell out of the first round. And the Mets were able to get him and get him signed. So it'll, it'll be interesting to follow what their asks are post Tommy John. But it really just stinks. I feel bad for these kids that work so hard their whole life and they're literally two months from the draft. I think it's literally two months from today, if I'm not mistaken. So, and boom, down goes your elbow and you don't get to enjoy that. Be a top 10 pick, get that really nice signing bonus that you get from being a top 10 pick. But these guys are talented. They'll be able to bounce back and, you know, hopefully have really good professional careers. Um, As far as making it less likely to take a college arm, it could, in a sense, because that takes two options off the board that we would have been talking about for the next two months. Uh, so the options for college arms at 10, in my eyes, are now really down to probably two people. Ty Madden from Texas and uh, Sam Bachman from Miami of Ohio, who might have a bit of a reliever profile to him. Uh, his changeup has looked really good in like workouts and things like that. He gets really good movement, but he doesn't really use it in game. So his changeup really does need some work, but this is up to 101, 102 plus plus breaking ball. So at worst, you're looking at a guy that ends up a lights out reliever. Best case scenario, you know, this changeup develops in pro ball and he has the stuff to be a frontline type starter. So it depends what you're looking for. I think Ty Madden's more of your safer college arm that has, he has good stuff. Like, so don't take away a guy that touches 96 as not having, or 97 as not having good stuff, but you know, it's not that special, special stuff to me. He's a little more safer. I think he's, you know, a number three type starter. Um, and, and I'll throw a little love at Wake Forest's Ryan Cusick, who I think also has really big stuff and uh, some reliever questions too, very similar in the vein of Bachman. But again, really, really big stuff, high upside. Um, as far as high school arms, there's going to be guys that are squarely in the conversation if the Mets are interested in that, which, I mean, they haven't been. The last time they used a real first-round pick on a high school arm was Scott Casimir. They've used that supplemental so first round. Ago. <laughs> yeah, that's o two, I think o one or o two, um, but they've used like supplemental first rounders and second rounders. That's when they usually like to pop the high school arm. But if they want to at ten, a guy like Jackson Job Joby, I actually need to get the pronunciation right on it. To be honest, it's either Job or Joby J O B E, and electric stuff. I mean, we're talking up to ninety nine on the fastball plus 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 slider like spin rate he's in his last start he showed he flashed some spin rates on his breaking ball that would be the highest spin rate of any breaking ball in the major leagues this year so we're talking big league ready breaking ball fastball up to 99 two sport athlete plays football as well so just a natural athlete on the mound i'm gonna rank him pretty high on my big board um so far about 15 players deep with you know some small small write-ups on them i'll release when i get more like 30 40 players deep probably but he's going to be very high on the list and i would hope it's someone the mets consider but history suggests that they won't and then if you want to just talk velocity and crazy stuff you got chase petty from a high school in new jersey who has hit 102 just filthy 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 stuff for a high schooler yeah yeah just absolutely crazy stuff so it seems like everyone's throwing harder and harder as we go on to the point where like i had to i had to correct myself when i was talking about ty madden at texas and i'm like hey he doesn't quite have this stuff and i'm like joe he touches 97 miles an hour what are you talking about like it's just nowadays it seems like everyone touches 97 miles an hour so uh i don't know if i exactly answered steve's question but i gave you a lot of information um I, I don't know if they're much more likely to take a high school arm. Their history suggests no, and you might see some college bats and high school bats get into the conversation. But yeah, the, the amount of college arms that they can consider today at number 10 is obviously less than it was and because of the two injuries. Yeah, it makes sense. It's just, it's interesting. It's, it's fascinating to me how, I don't want to say predictable, 
but how much of a track record the Mets have with their overall draft strategy of what and, kind and of it, players they draft. And if you look across the league, like if you really is that common? Pay attention, yeah, if you really pay attention to this stuff, teams generally have a preference um, of type of player, whether that's they prefer to take high school arms. Like the Dodgers are big on high school arms. They take a lot of high school arms. And those tend to be the riskiest picks, generally speaking, more busts than anything else are high school arms. But man, the Dodgers got Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler. Like they got their share of really good ones. So um, it definitely changes, changes the conversation. But yeah, I think across the league, if you really, really paid attention to this stuff, uh, you'd realize that most teams have a quote-unquote type and they tend to be fairly consistent in taking that person, at least in the first round. Let me frame this counter question to you then. The Mets are picking at number 10, which is yeah. an, a very interesting part of this draft. But let's assume that one of the top guys does not fall to them. That you know, we talked about Joe before and we don't expect any of the Vandy guys like being realistic. The Mets are in an interesting position where we know at least for following this year, DeGrom is going to be here. Walker has another year on his deal. And we're pretty, we feel confident they're going to figure something out with one of Syndergaard or Stroman. You have Peterson and Carrasco's under contract. Now, I know it could make 2023 complicated, but do you think because of that, starting pitching stable they have and because they have the financial flexibility to keep a lot of it intact that the Mets are equipped to take a Jaden Hill or Gunnar Hoagland at number 10 when many teams cannot I would be surprised if they did it's just too uh, early they, yeah are they capable sure they could do whatever they want and you know you'd probably be able to save a bunch of money on the signing bonus because you could get below slot for number 10 and they'll do better than you know 19th overall or whatever the case may be they'd still do better financially so in theory they could but for me i'll take a healthy guy and take my chances that one of jaden hill or hoagland can last to my second pick I'm, i don't think i don't think it's unreasonable to say that it could happen um and i think it's a fair question because i think i've had people ask me this on twitter too it's like why not just take them if you think they're that good? That you was just, my question. Yeah. yeah, you just you just sit them out a year and work it out. And like you said, they can afford the depth. So I think it's a good question. Um, I personally just wouldn't, I don't see it happening. Would I be totally opposed to them doing it? No, because I think I trust the Mets. This is going to sound crazy, but I trust the Mets' new medical staff that they have, especially in the minor leagues. And I think that, you know, they'd be able to get through their rehab and come back as good as ever and you'd get that top 10 talent in the top 10 but you just have to consider is it you know what these are questions that i'll never be able to answer for you i'm typically not going to be privy to anyone's signing bonus demands so if you know you find out what these signing bonus demands are and that's when you get creative if you're the mets and you go well if we take you know so and so in the first round save a little money there we can land a Jaden Hill or a Gunnar Hoagland in the second round. And then we got, you know, a top 15 and a top 10 talent rather than a top 10 talent that's injured. And then a second round player in the second round. That makes sense. I decided to ask. It's something I always yeah, think no. about when a guy's that talented, but, and we've seen such a track record of these surgeries it's almost like we're immune to it when you see it yeah. at this point. So it, no, that's, it's really interesting to me. The next question from Jack Regan, just speaking of surgeries, just curious with Matt Allen's Tommy John surgery, how does uh, his timeline as a prospect line up with former prospects who also had Tommy John? Um, That's interesting. I mean, he's 20 years old now, so he's got, he won't be 21 for some time. So he's still a little younger, but he basically will not debut in pro ball until, you know, in, in full season pro ball until either late next year or 2023. So the Mets, the Mets are not aggressive 
when it comes to Tommy John surgery recovery, they like to give them as much time as possible. They prefer 14 to 16 months rather than the, you know, a year and back. So you're looking at Allen being borderline debuting next year at 21 years old. That's going to put them a little behind the eight ball. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they choose to position him if he debuts at the end of 2022 or if he's just, you know, going full bore at the beginning of 2023. At that point, you wonder, do they just debut him in double A and just go, look, Good you got to skip it. Yeah, you got to skip a ball. You, I mean, they were put he was in Brooklyn, so he was in high A anyway. So I don't know if you I guess you probably look at it like, yeah, you you don't have the experience of a ball. But are you really going to put a 22, 23 year old Matt Allen in, you know, single A? It's it's a very it's interesting year olds and 20 year olds. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, an interesting point. It's an interesting dichotomy that I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. It's still so early. Hope Let's just let's just hope he has successful Tommy John and his recovery goes swimmingly. I mean, yeah, like you like you said, Tommy John is kind of like second nature. It seems like everyone gets it nowadays. But the success rate still like mathematically is just over 80 percent of like coming back right. So there's still that, you know, 15, 17% chance. So let's just hope he comes back healthy, good, strong, everything. He's a hard worker. I assume he's going to put in every every ounce of work that he has to to get back to where where he should be. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. I think he'll end up a little behind schedule ultimately. I think it's just it's just a timing thing. You know, he lost the season last year like everyone else did and that's never happened before so there was no season this season he was supposed to debut in full season ball no season and you know it's possible next season he has no season so it's not impossible that matt allen would miss three years wow three three professional seasons so it put him behind the eight ball but you know we'll we'll see kind of we'll follow up in eight ten months and see where he's at Hey, Tebow's trying to do it with Jacksonville. Hey, it's it, I got to say, I know it's not a football podcast, but if Tim Tebow just did this when he like entered the NFL, I know. he would he would have been a 10-year veteran in the league. He wouldn't I have know. yeah, crazy, crazy. Like, I don't he, think he ever would have, but you could you yeah. could have seen him in like a use check kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. But he yeah, I, he just he would never be that good, but still. I was I was even thinking like Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill where like if you like if you need Tim Tebow to like throw the ball once in a while maybe he could like here and there to like throw people off like he wasn't like me throwing a football he just wasn't an NFL quarterback but whatever good for Tim I hope uh I hope he makes the Jaguars and you know good for him he's pursuing sports until the the last minute before he runs off and does media so good for him. All right, the next one's from Mets Fan 04. With Francisco Alvarez off to a hot start in St. Lucie, when do you anticipate he'll get the call up to Brooklyn? Would Mauricio and Beatty still be in Brooklyn when Alvarez gets there? It would be exciting to see all three in Brooklyn's lineup at the same time. I agree there. If that happens, that all three are in the lineup consistently for Brooklyn at some point this summer, I will absolutely make uh, a Coney Island trip, no doubt about that, to see those three play because that is as much prospect top prospect talent as I can remember uh, being in Brooklyn at the same time, at least since I've been, I've been down here, that would, that to me would be worth it. Do you think it lines up that way, Joe? Um, Maybe. Uh, I I think Alvarez would have to be an aggressive promotion because I think Beatty will work his way to double a in relatively short order, if I had to guess. So I wouldn't be surprised if Alvarez came up, Beatty was already gone, but Mauricio was still there. Uh, but yeah, how exciting would that be? And like you said, it, there hasn't been much in Brooklyn, but that's because Brooklyn's always been like a short season, a ball, basically for draft picks. So ultimately, it was just a bunch of people that the Mets would draft out of college, just went to Brooklyn and spent the summer there. And then that was that. But yeah, it'd be hella fun to be able to go to Coney Island, go to MCU Park and you know, see Alvarez, Mauricio, and Beatty in the same lineup, three top 100 type prospects. And, you know, other guys too, like our guy, Jake Mangum. He recently made, he made his debut the other day in Brooklyn. So he's back there. 
So, yeah, no, I think the Brooklyn team has a chance to be super fun. It's just a matter of does an Alvarez promotion line up with a Beatty promotion to double A as well? Man, I, the last time I w- went to a Brooklyn game was not that long ago. Um, it was baseball you can drink. I, have you ever yeah. done that, Joe, at Coney Island? No. My no. goodness. It is, number one, it's a blast. And it's basically you just buy your tickets and you get the section that's behind the outfield wall where you get like food vouchers and unlimited drinks for quite some time, whether it's beers, uh, cocktails, and you just have a grand old time at Coney Mm -hmm. Island. Let me just say that. So if you're looking for something fun to do that coincides with the Brooklyn game, maybe we'll make that at that. So Mets trip, we'll have to, uh, I'll have to give the Brooklyn Cyclones a call and be like, listen, we have a pretty rowdy group of listeners that want to do baseball. You can drink. We'll make it happen. So, Last question of today's show from Patrick Chamberlain. Can we get your reaction to the news that the Mariners are set to call up Jared Kelenic this week? What are your expectations, and are you prepared for Twitter to be insufferable if he performs well? Well, absolutely. Um, it already has been. I've seen so many. I've seen so much. One of my really good friends from from work and just in life is a Mariners fan, so he's been very excited, and he should be very excited. I'm happy for him. But the amount of Mets fans, or not even Mets fans, Mets fans have let it go. The guy that, it was a terrible trade, we'll say every time, it's like our disclaimer, but Diaz, really big piece for the Mets right now. A really big piece for the Mets. I hope Kellenick's good. Um, I think this has turned into something so ridiculous, and this is coming from somebody that hated the trade and thought it was insane to include him in it. And everybody thought he would be great, and it sounds like he will be. I I think Kellenic has kind of been turned into this like Tatis figure, though, at this point. And it's ridiculous. I think he'll be a really, really good player. If he's an all-star player, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I yeah. just it's not Tatis all over again, and it's over. And the Mets are in first place. They're in first place. I don't I you know, Pat, you nailed it. It will be insufferable. I'm yeah. sure when he hits his first home run, the video will be on every They'll tag the Mets in it or hashtag LGM or whatever it is. I I just don't care anymore. I just want the Mets to be in first place. They are. They have young talent. Here we are talking about all their top prospects hitting the crap out of the ball early in the minors. Man, I cannot wait for this story to die. It will never die, unfortunately. And Twitter being Unless he stinks, which is yeah. terrible to root for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I won't. I, I root for him to succeed, and I'll deal with the fact that Mets fans are annoyed that he's really good. Um, I always root for everybody to succeed. I don't want anyone to get hurt. I don't want anyone to stink. Kelnick, from all that I've heard, is a good kid. Um, seems like a super, super hard worker. Um, I know he wasn't too happy when he was traded, so mm. I'm ro- I, I'm rooting for him to, to do well, and I think he's going to. I mean, I've asked around, and... You know, the I don't want to pour salt on the wound, but the comp that I get for him is Christian Yelich. So we're That's talking lofty. about a yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean it's a it's a comp. A comp you know you know how comps are. Oh, I, I'm um, guilty of yeah. it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I called so, Trevor Lawrence John Elway at one point this year yeah. and was like, Oh boy, I better stop that. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if he ends up Christian Yelich. But ultimately, you know, this is a top five prospect in baseball that was wrongfully traded away and it is what it is. There's there's no use in harping on the trade. We all know what happened. Edwin Diaz is now like one of my favorite players on the team. I listen to Narco constantly. Like I love having Edwin Diaz as a Met. It's unfortunate what was traded to get him, but you know, that's the way it is. And, you know, I, I hope Jared hits the crap out of the ball for Seattle. I I can't root against the kid. I don't have that in me. But yeah, Twitter will just be really difficult. And you know what? If he's really good. Seattle won't be able to afford him in a few years, and we have an owner who can't. So if it all works out, maybe we can get him back for a lot more money in a few years. Oh, man. You know, good uh, for either, Jared yeah. I'm yeah, good for him. For him. I, I really he, am out of words for this thing. Now, he was ready. Yeah. Here's the thing. He was he was ready for the big leagues last summer. Let's just call let's just call a spade a spade. He was ready for the big leagues last summer. They had him at the alternate site. He was raking. He was ready to play. They just were doing service time stuff. Their their president or whoever it was that got fired came out and basically said it verbatim. It's like, we offered him a long-term deal, which would buy out free agent years. 
and he didn't say this part, but very cheap money. Um, and he, when Kelnick said no, they basically said, all right, well, we're going to manipulate your service time now. They pretty much just told him straight up, you, didn't, you don't take our deal, you won't be in the major leagues until we oh, get the that extra year Oh, the optics were terrible, control. and he'll yeah, probably the, leave as soon as he can. The optics were terrible. The fact that they said it to him so he could publicly say it, they didn't treat him very well in this process. Um, and unfortunately, that happens to a lot of prospects. Uh, every team's been guilty of doing so. The Mets didn't do it with Pete Alonso, and obviously that was a game changer for them. But yeah, it it's not off to the happiest of marriages. But yeah, I'm rooting for Kalnick. I'm glad he's getting called up. It's almost a year to, you know, a year longer than he should have been. But, you know, it is what it is. He's there and let's see how see how he does with it. That's a great way to put it. And I think when you look at it, so they, by calling him up now, they perfectly manipulated his service time, correct? Yeah. Yep. So they oh, get an extra man. year of control on him. That is a huge issue in baseball. And yep. That's going to be for the Mets a big not doing fight. that to Pete. Yep. It's going to be a big fight in the next CBA. And, you know, players remember it, man. I'm telling you, Chris Bryant still talks about it now he's a free mm. so chris bryant's a free agent at the end of the season and he still talks about when the cubs screwed around with them six seven years ago so like these players are not going to forget about it and on the other side the mets not doing it to pete pete will remember that too and i bet you maybe he gives the mets a little break if you know the time comes when they want to talk a long-term deal not saying he'll take cheap money but maybe he'll give them a little bit of a break so it's like look man we didn't screw with you. You get the free agency a year earlier. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle service time in the next CBA. Um, I know that some people are proposing just blank amount of time after you become a pro, you're a free agent. So it doesn't matter what date you're called up. It doesn't add any time or lose any time. It's just blank years is when you're in. So We'll be it'll be interesting to see, and that's going to be one of the biggest fights that we profile this uh, this off season. So I know everyone loves off season shows. This year's off season shows is going to be a lot about oh, MLB yes. and MLBPA fighting each other. So oh, yes. look forward to that. Speaking of Chris Bryant, nine home runs, three oh eight batting average, almost four hundred on base. I'll tell you, I, the Cubs know he's leaving. It's just a yeah. matter of where they're going to send him at the deadline. And matter of where they are in the standing. So they had, you know, the central, they're kind of staying afloat a little bit in the, in the division. But uh, if they, if they start falling out, it's like, where's Chris Bryant going? And the Mets better be one of the first teams on that, on that call to bring him over and add that for the second half. And I don't even care if he walks at the end of the year. No, let's go for it. Let's make it fun. Go, go for it. And that's our show. And man, it was a lot to go through. I like when we have the gathering, the storm of minor league news, big league club news, a little bit of Joe story time of of what he did for the weekend, which was great. He went to the Mets game. And of course, MLB draft. This this was the perfect storm of a That's So Mets pod. And it got Joe and I talking because a couple of listeners have tweeted at the show which we love that one pod's not enough during the week, which Joe and I agree. We've talked about this for a long time, probably at least two or three months ago, we started talking about it. And once I got through the NFL draft, we knew that we were going to start to position ourselves to do more. So we're still going through that, but let us know what you guys want. We're thinking there's always going to be one lengthy show. I mean, we're always going to go over an hour, basically once a week, midweek show, give you total news of everything podcast format but we might have to get that youtube channel cranking and just do more reaction kind of stuff and stuff that can live on our twitter stuff that can live on youtube more video content along those lines but joe closing thoughts episode 41 we touched everything like you said and yeah i think that's a great idea to have so first off Let's get uh, those Apple reviews and those five stars cranking up again. It was good for a bit. We've kind of been a bit stagnant. Part of it is us not saying anything about it, I think, maybe. Uh, so, you know, please, where you get your podcasts, right, rate us five stars. Leave us some reviews. It really does help the podcast. So, you know, please uh, go ahead and do that. And like Connor said, tweet us, you know, 
tweet at that so Mets pod tweet Connor at Connor J Rogers tweet me at PSL the flushing and let us know what type of content do you want from us you know we want to do more I think I think we might end up sticking to one pod a week like Connor said like one 45 to an hour hour and 10 minute pod whatever it ends up being on a given week I think we're going to stick to that but we want to be able to give you some more content and we think a YouTube channel makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of people are certainly doing that now and we could get some good reaction videos. Uh, you know, Connor even mentioned before we got on to record here today, it's like the Mets make their first round draft pick. Connor and I hop on for five, 10 minutes to talk about the first round draft pick. Just add some, add some more content for, for you. Cause that's what, you know, we, we do this content for you guys to digest and, you know, the support has been awesome. And, you know, we love that you're asking for more and we want to give you more. So let us know on Twitter what you want. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll work it out. I'm really excited about where we're going to be going this summer. How about this? If you really want your idea to be used, leave it in an iTunes review. So now ah, I'm asking for a lot. Look at you. <laughs> oh, man. Episode 41, the Tom Seaver episode. I can't believe I didn't say that until now. Rest in peace to the great one. And we'll catch you guys next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.